Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. If the phrase show choir makes you think about white shirts with bow ties and cummerbunds and kids doing jazz hands, or even the students on Glee belting out pop tunes, it is time to think again. Show choir is huge in Iowa, and performances are increasingly complicated, challenging, and sophisticated. This hour, I'll talk with two high school show choir directors and a choreographer who works with many schools across the country. But we're going to start the hour at Lynn Mar High School, where IPR's Katherine Perkins recently attended a show choir rehearsal. It's about 7.30 Monday night in the Linmar High School Auditorium. All three Linmar show choirs have just run through their shows, and as the treble and prep groups make their way out of the auditorium, members of 10th Street Edition are getting to work. 10th Street is directed by Trent Buglowitz, and tonight he's got some changes to make in Hellbound Train. The competition season is over for most choirs, and even though 10th Street has been working on this show since August, they're still changing and tweaking more than just the vocals. Choreographer Lexi Robson has some new dance moves to run through. And then they run the changes. One small section of one song, again, and again, and again. Later this month, 10th Street Edition is headed to show choir nationals in Nashville, Tennessee, where they'll perform on stage at the Grand Ole Opry. It's the first time this group will be on the national stage, and soloist Kira Cans says it's made this season even more intense. I think that the drive, just as a group, is a lot, just at least in my personal opinion, has been a lot stronger. I think since the very beginning, we, you know, we have got outside of school and gotten groups and practiced the choreography. And I think just being able to get the opportunity to perform out of Iowa and to share our story and our message it's just like such a cool opportunity that I think a lot of people have put a lot of work in, I think. Grant Galloway says this show is a step up from last year. I do say I really could tell from the very beginning of the season, we walked into choreography camp, that nobody was playing around because our choreographers went from like last year, we thought our choreography was pretty difficult. And this year we were all like in tears. Like it was just crazy. <laughs> they were like, we are going to nationals. Um, and we realized that the first day. 10th Street is made up of 61 performers, 17 band members, and 15 crew. This year's show is a cross between Town and A Christmas Carol. Tejas Guru Raja plays Nicholas, one of the main characters. Uh, the, sh- the show is it's about um, a guy named Nicholas who, who, who dies, and he comes on the Georgia line or like the subway that's taking him from the place of life to the place of afterlife and he meets uh, Caron who wants to show him that um, life was more meaningful than he thinks it was uh, and has maybe some ulterior motives as well. The rest of the ensemble are dressed as commuters wearing business suits riding a subway car called the Georgia Line to the afterlife. Galloway plays Caron, the conductor. Okay, so Caron is 
uh, definitely a character. Um, <laughs> you know, has full personality, very uh, sassy. Three fates, or spirit guides, played by Cans, Malia Bone, and Kate Flugstad, show Nicholas scenes from his past, present, and future as they try to convince him to have a fiddling duel with the devil to win the chance to turn the train around. The show is musical theater. There's dialogue, a plot. It's very different from what a lot of Iowa show choirs are doing and have traditionally done over the years. A risk that's paid off. 10th Street Edition has come away the grand champions of all four competitions they've participated in this season. But it's meant a lot of time and commitment from these students. Buglowitz revealed the show to them at the beginning of August. Bone and Cans say they were both excited when they heard about it. <laughs> I was very excited. I love Hades Town and I love <laughs> darker themes. Like I, I love stories. So I thought it was really cool, but I was like, I have no clue how we're gonna pull this off because I, it was such a complex story, and he, you know, he wasn't really sure exactly the exact details at the beginning, and so going through this whole process and each rehearsal, adding more details and make the story make sense was a really cool pr- process to watch. But I was definitely skeptical at the beginning. <laughs> Soon after the reveal and some bonding activities, performers were into camp week, rehearsing six or more hours a day for six days. Then twice weekly rehearsals after that. Winter brought more weekend camps, and all of this was happening during all the other fall and winter sports and activities. Guru Raja says for him, show choir is the priority. I think I think there's always a problem with prioritizing, like, you know, your time and stuff. But I think with all of our roles being so involved... I guess for me, it wasn't really that hard of a choice between anything and this. I've, I've always, you know, this has always been one of the, you know, during this time period, like that fall slash winter, it's kind of like blocked for show choir. Like I don't, I don't try, I try not to like put that much other stuff in my schedule just to f- focus completely on this because it is such a big time commitment. I mean, as you said earlier, all five of us are really involved musicians. So we're involved in so many different things. But I know for me, I mean, like I haven't worked you know, barely at all. <laughs> I've had to tell my boss, I'm like, I'm sorry, I have like no availability because I mean, we've had extra rehearsals after school just for the soloist, just for the lead, you know, whatever to work acting in scenes, work vocals or, you know, whatever it is. And so I feel like we've had to sacrifice a lot of outside stuff. And these five soloists are incredibly talented. Guru Raja, a tenor, recently won the classical men's division in the National Teachers of Singing competition in Chicago. He's been an all-state vocalist and a three-time all-state violinist. The other four soloists were all accepted into the all-state chorus back in October. So how did they feel when the description of the 10th Street show and all the competition programs says that Nicholas wastes his life pursuing music? I felt a little attacked at first. No, 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 I'm joking. No, um, especially because it was a violinist, and uh, I've spent a great many hours of my youth practicing violin. Um, I just think it's interesting that we're all like so passionate about music and have all spent so much time, but have also been able to cultivate relationships and have um, friends and have, you know, everything that Nicholas didn't. Cans, whose mother is a music educator, also plans to pursue music education in college. It's more about that he just cut everyone off and was focusing on only this one thing and he just wasted all the opportunities of, you know, building relationships and all these different experiences in life. There are a lot of opportunities for awe watching these kids perform. The goosebump moments for them come at various points in the show. 
for Cans, it's when she and the other fates sing The Vow. chill moment is in the vow. It's when finally Nicholas, it clicks that he sees all the people that just loved him so much and he finally recognizes that, you know, he was so loved and he just didn't realize it. And I think that's a big lesson in the show is that people should be grateful for what they have. And I think people take granted for the love that people show them. So this show is all just about, you know, making sure that you're loving the people in your life. Bone gets goosebumps singing Nothing Changes and seeing the audience's reaction. Like, or they kind of start to be like, what is going on now? Like, this doesn't seem like the story that we were following. And that's when everyone finds out that this was all like a trick. And so, yeah. And Flukestad's favorite moment comes during one of the funkier songs. drops you kind of like settle into like <laughs> you settle into like the dancing gets more intense the singing gets more intense it's like one of the, the loudest moments of our show and you kind of get into the, the grittiness of we're on this road to hell and it, it's just a, such a fun moment that I really love but Galloway says there's consensus around what's hardest about the show well, the choreography is just so intense it's so difficult um, all of the cor- all three of the choreographers have told us that this is easily the hardest choreography they've ever given 10th Street, one of the hardest shows they've ever created. Um, and then the vocals aren't exactly easy either. <laughs> um, they're really high for a lo- like all the voice parts and you're belting and then you're like back blipping on the stage at the same time. So putting those two together and then doing all the transitions, keeping everything memorized, it's just so difficult. But it weirdly becomes muscle memory. And speaking of their bodies, a new challenge for these teens as the group heads to nationals will be adapting to an early performance time. Competitions usually have 10th Street performing in the evening, but they'll be one of the first groups up in Nashville, performing at 8 a.m. They'll be practicing the early wake-up call in the week before the competition with morning rehearsals. But Flugstad says there are plenty of other things to be nervous about. We have this giant prop, and it's like a giant wall with a door on it. And for a good couple songs, it's not on stage. And then we have a blackout where we have like four or five people carry this giant door and put it into position in just a couple of seconds. And it's happened before where the door doesn't get in the right place, and then it kind of creates some issues because a lot of times um, the characters have to walk through the door. So that always makes me very stressed during our show. And we lost the golden violin once, right? It broke, actually. So it broke seconds before we went on stage. And so our director came up to me and said, Grant, no golden violin. I'm like, what do you mean there's no golden violin? He's like, it broke. Just walk off the stage and then immediately walk back on with nothing. I'm like, okay. So I did. But everyone seems very excited about heading to Nashville. I also think it's really cool that we get to perform The Devil Went Down to Georgia at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville. That's like, I mean, I can't even think about how many many times it's probably been performed there. And we're going to be another one that's, you know, in the history you know, books, you know. That's pretty cool. You have somebody with a natural southern accent doing it. Yeah. So you got somebody from Austin. I mean, when do you get the chance to perform in the Grand Old Opry? Yeah. Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I'm so excited to do that with my best friends. Let's do this. 
The members of 10th Street Edition from Linmar High School will compete at Show Choir Nationals in Nashville, Tennessee, March 24th on stage at the Grand Ole Opry. IPR's Catherine Perkins is our executive producer and a proud Show Choir mom. In a few minutes, we'll meet the director of 10th Street Edition, the choreographer behind that show and many others, and the director of EOS, Varsity Show Choir at Waukee Northwest High School. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about show choir in Iowa. During the season, which is long, thousands of students put in thousands of hours practicing, singing, acting, dancing. And most of the show choirs are also accompanied by live bands to add yet another element to the spectacle. Show choir is intense, and so is the competition. Iowa is home to more than 150 high school show choirs, and many of them are extraordinary. We have asked just two show choir directors to join us today. First up, Trent Buglowitz. He is the choir director, one of three choir directors at Linmar High School, and also director of 10th Street this remarkable group we've been listening to. Trent, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be on. Well, you must be so incredibly proud of these kids. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's, it's really a special group of students this year. Um, they're very dedicated to what's ahead of them. It's, it's been a really fun season. So... It- <laughs> there, there's obviously so much that goes into developing a show that is so sophisticated and complicated like this one. Can you kind of walk me through your process as a director? When did you first start working on this show? Um, that is a great question. I mean, it is a, it's a long bit to put together, but um, I think we kind of started, we usually try to start at the end of the spring school year. Um, I try to start brainstorming a little bit on maybe what we could put together um, and looking at some of the skills of the ensemble we have. Um, We just have to be done typically with the design by June or July, somewhere in there, depending on when. So it's, it's just a lot of brainstorming with intelligent people. I know it's a a lot of bad ideas, um, a, a lot of, a lot of things that are kind of shot down or refigured, but Often we start, at least um, my wife Lexi and I, um, we we start with a a storyline, something that we feel will be emotionally impactful, something that audiences will will care about at its root kind of product. And then we start building songs that help tell that story. Um, Sometimes the songs help direct the storyline a little bit, and sometimes the initial storyline that we work on guides the song choices. So there's a variety of ways to do it. Um, that's usually our process, and it, it, it just takes a long time and a lot of guesses. 
Absolutely. And, and we're going to you mentioned your wife, Lexi. She is a choreographer. We're going to bring her into the conversation in a few minutes. But you mentioned working with the talent that you have. So, uh, you know, you know, a lot of the kids that are going to be part of your varsity show choir. Of course, there's a there's a rigorous tryout um, that takes place and, and the kids that get into the 10th Street edition. You have worked with a number of them for a number of years. So do you really design the show to best take advantage of their specific talents? I I think it's not directly designed to to any one specific student or anything like that. But often as a director, you, you know where your greatest strengths are and your greatest weaknesses as an ensemble, at least in just beginning of the year skill level, maybe what what kind of voices you have, if you have a lot of brighter voices, if you have a lot of darker voices, different, maybe like certain students excel more in, in more pop style singing. And so you Sometimes you have students that have a lot more classically driven sound. And so you kind of, you, you just tally all of that information that you have. You're just essentially gathering data and seeing like, okay, do we do we have an instrumentalist who could carry this show as a lead character? Um, yes, I think we've got a few. Um, and then you ask yourself, like, do we, if we're going to arrange a song, let's say that's an all treble voice piece, do we have the treble voices that are going to be able to sustain the audience's attention and focus on stage for a certain amount of time? Um, and if you do, that, that can help you design something that is, in the end, going to be really successful. So I, I like especially solo-wise to... I like having a few options. I, I don't want to design a show where maybe I know like only one student could possibly do it because you never know what can happen and what that year looks like. So I, I always just want to make sure I have a few students who I know could carry a certain role or part. And then I'm always surprised by the other students that I didn't think of initially that can also do that. And oftentimes they turn into the one that ends up doing it. Well, and- yeah, it, it, it's a lot. We we were just listening for from your rehearsal just a couple of weeks ago. You've been doing this show for months. You've qualified for nationals, and and there you were in rehearsal making changes. D- does this show continue to evolve through the whole season? Uh, yes, uh, definitely. Um, what I find a lot is usually in in my goals and dreams. I guess by our first competition, our show would be pretty much in in shape for what I hoped it would be at the beginning of the year. If we're going out to compete at the beginning of January, we should probably be pretty good at what we plan to be pretty good at. And oftentimes we are at that point in time. The students always step up to the plate and match, honestly, whatever expectation we throw at them. Um, and then we get to the beginning of the season. And then after that, it's kind of like, okay, they're of course, they could execute some things better, but in general, they're executing just about everything I've asked them to do um, since the beginning of the season by then. So then the kind of the development portion is it kind of looks in the mirror and I go, OK, what what can I do with the show that's going to continue to elevate it? Um, the students are doing everything I've asked them. So now what? What more could I ask them to do? What could we add vocally to this? Could we make a different cut or change some of the instrumental parts to really bring out a different emotional response from an audience? And that's that's some of the most fun parts of it is creatively finding ways to make all the incredible things these students are doing even more incredible. 
I am talking with Trent Buglowitz. He is the one of three choir directors at Linmar High School. He is the director of 10th Street Edition, the varsity show choir that is headed to Nashville's, or Nashville, Tennessee, Nationals in Nashville, Tennessee, here in just a couple of weeks. I also want to bring Jackson Dobbitz into the conversation. He is head vocal music director at Waukee Northwest High School. He's also the director of EOS Varsity Show Choir. Hello, Jackson. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. And you are in kind of a a unique position because Waukee Northwest High School has only been open for a couple of years, right? So you are directing a a really young group. Yeah. So two years ago, Waukee as a district got big enough that we needed to split the high school in half. Um, And it boiled down to just giving more opportunities to kids. So when we split that, yeah, we started EOS. And it's just been this, like, whirlwind of getting a group up and running that, like, we had all of this great tradition of what Waukee had been doing in show choir prior to us opening. But we've just continued to sort of build on that in the way that we want to. And the kids have really just taken off from there. That sounds like a high-pressure situation because you want to make sure that you're giving the kids at this new high school the same kind of opportunity they would have had at the school that they would have gone to if the schools hadn't split, right? Yeah, it's that crazy it just, there's such a tradition of show choir in Waukee that when the school splits, you're kind of like looking in the mirror, hoping that you don't let anyone down and that it's successful right away because for years they've had so much success and the kids really just sort of came in with that same mentality of this is what success looks like, this is what we know, and really just sort of took our vision for making it sort of our own thing at Northwest and have really executed at a high level. So, Jackson, the show this year that you have been performing all season is called The Unbroken Circle. Can you tell me about it? Yeah. So we sort of uh, the team that we have creatively um, sort of came up with this idea of this insulated community that is sort of starting to question whether or not there's more to the world than the simple happy life that they've known. And um, we keep returning to this idea from the traditional uh, folk song, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, about family. Is it just where you're from? Can family be found? Does family leave even though you might venture out beyond what's comfortable? And sort of this idea that family stays with you regardless of where you're at and that you can find love and support wherever you go. In putting together this show, uh, tell me a little about the process. And and again, we're going to bring Lexi Robson Bucklewitz into the conversation in just a few minutes. She's the choreographer for both of these shows. So I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about her. But walk me through how this show developed, Jack. Yeah, so Lexi, myself, um, our show designer, Hannah Johnson, our choreography, Nick Kwame, and then my assistant director uh, for EOS, Trevor Wiley, we sort of have a shared Spotify playlist, and we just keep throwing music in it that's inspiring us, and uh, I think it was Hannah threw in uh, Copeland's Appalachian Spring Suite. And both her and I really sort of latched on to this instrumental idea of morning starting and then trying to find ways to use sort of like traditional folk music from America in a show. And Will the Circle Be Unbroken just sort of came to the forefront of that. And then from there, the storyline of what does choosing to leave somewhere uh, look like? How does a community respond to that? And then for kids, like 
connecting that to their real life of we've got seniors who have been doing show choir since they're in seventh grade, and this is going to be their last show before they venture off into the world, and really letting them sort of take that into a space where they can process that through art has been really exciting. So when we latched onto that, then it was just about finding ways to use music and really sort of like bring that storyline to life in a way that audiences would engage with. And Jack, you are fairly young in your teaching career. This is your sixth year of teaching. And uh, so high school wasn't all that long ago for you. Were you a show choir kid? I was, yeah. I did show choir. Um, I think I started show choir in seventh grade back at Regis Middle School in Cedar Rapids and then did it throughout high school at Cedar Rapids Xavier and went off to college. And it's sort of just been a constant. I helped at Southeast Polk when I was in college with their show bands and have just sort of had show choir at every job I've had. What makes you feel excited about this opportunity? For me, it's that idea of getting to help kids find a way to process through art and sort of express themselves through art in a way that connects with people who maybe aren't used to seeing music performed in this way, aren't used to this concept that high school kids can create art at such a high level. Um, Getting to see them execute this, that's really what it's all about for me. It's that connecting to them and having them connect to these ideas and then really allowing them to push and find new heights. It's a really it's a really special thing that we get to do every day. Uh, Trent, this is your ninth year at Linmar. Um, you've had a little longer career than Jack, but were you also a show choir kid? I was. I was. Um, I... I actually joined choir and show choir my, my junior year of high school. I was recruited in by um, some of my friends and an older sibling and did show choir my junior and senior year. And then I was like, maybe I want to do this forever. And here I am. <laughs> and you're doing it forever. I, I want to ask you about that recruitment. Um, because this is something that a lot of show choirs have historically struggled with, and that is having enough boys, young men, joining show choir. Was that what made you so attractive? Did they need men on the on the show choir, Trent? I think. I mean, always you're looking for those lower voices to to fill out your ensembles. Um, that that is a big part of what we do. Um, but that that was one of the reasons that I'm sure that I got recruited in. Um, also, it. We find often in our programs that it's just all about connections, not just in like creating the music, but in even the recruiting side of things. I, I would venture to say that over 50% typically of our incoming freshman classes of specifically tenors and basses are siblings, cousins, um, or close friends with somebody who is in or used to be in our Linmar choir program. So it's it, whatever your gender voice part, I mean, it really comes down to who are you connected to. And if you're not connected to anybody, we'd love to create an area where you can be connected with others. Well, and, and this is a program with a long tradition. Jack, you're on the opposite end. You are the head of a program with a very brief tradition. 
Yeah, I mean, but it's that cool um, environment where we are trying to create a product, like Trent said, that kids feel connected to where they're building authentic connections. We have already, like, we've had alumni just come back who, like, the group only existed for one year, and they bombard us at contests, and they are working to help me reach out to seventh graders to be like, hey, have you thought about this show choir thing? It's just this community that we get to exist and create in is so supportive of itself and of the people in it that it really makes it this like really welcoming place that kids want to be a part of. Well, there's so much to talk about. I, I do want to bring Lexi Robson-Buglowitz into the conversation now. She is a professional choreographer. She did the choreography for both of the shows we've been talking about. Works with all of the Linmar High School show choirs, EOS, uh, EOS at uh, Waukee Northwest High School, Spectrum at Ankeny Centennial, and many other show choirs. Lexi, welcome to the show. Hi, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And I think you have a job that a lot of people probably don't even know exists. Tell me what the job of a professional choreographer looks like. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's uh, my friends and I who share this same profession. We talk all the time about how weird and crazy our lives are, um, but wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, Let's see. I mean, I start my year, kind of what Trent said, the end of spring semester, planning out shows with my directors, uh, planning costumes, planning storylines. And then kind of beginning of July is when my season starts. And I mostly live out of a suitcase about July through December as I travel. I work with approximately 20 groups across the country. um, And I just travel from group to group and spend anywhere from... um, five to five days, five to seven days with a group setting their show. And then I fly to the next group. Um, so teaching kids those competition shows. So you're working with a bunch of schools in Iowa, but elsewhere in the country as well. This is a a national job. Yes. Yes. So I have a school in Boston. Um, I have a school in Mississippi. I have a school in Oklahoma. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of all around the place. And, when we talk about choreography, if people have not seen these shows, I mean, that possibly is is even a bigger shift than the music and the musicality of these shows from what I remember from 30 years ago. The choreography is extraordinary. The bar is so high, Lexi. Tell me, just give me an idea for, for what it takes to put one of these shows together. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I, so I have a, I'm a dancer. I have a dance background. I have a degree um, in dance performance and that's sort of how I found my voice in the show choir world. Um, They're kind of notoriously was uh, show choir choreography. And I was like, well, how can I find my way in this kind of developed show choir choreography? And I thought, well, I can bring my, my dance training and my dance technique. Um, So that's kind of, what I bring to the table um, and just making sure that every single show is completely different, that there's a variety of styles within the show. Um, uh, Speaking about Linmar specifically, I was sitting here thinking this is actually my 10th year um, working and choreographing with Linmar. And I started with the younger um, nine through 12 treble group. And now I do all of the groups and just knowing how I've trained those dancers and what, 
um, what they're capable right. of. And well, Lexi, we're going to talk more time. about that in just a moment. We have to take a short break. Lexi robson Buglowitz is here along with Trent Buglowitz and Jackson Dobbitz. We're talking about show choir. We're going to listen to a little bit of EOS with their show, The Unbroken Circle, here. This is Talk of Iowa. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about show choir in Iowa. And there are more than 150 high school show choirs in Iowa. And if you haven't seen show choir for, I don't know, even 10 years, you need to take a look because the extraordinary performances just get more extraordinary with every year. The show choir performances become more sophisticated, more challenging. They're accompanied by live bands. Many of them tell long narrative stories in their 20-minute shows. We've been talking this hour mostly about Linmar, their Varsity Show Choir is called 10th Street Edition. They are headed to Nationals in Nashville, Tennessee on March 24th. Linmar director Trent Buglowitz is here. He's the director of 10th Street Edition. Also with us, Jackson Dobbitz, head vocal music director at Waukee Northwest High School and director of EOS, Varsity Show Choir. And Lexi Robson Buglowitz is also here, a professional choreographer. She did the choreography for both of the shows we've been talking about today and works with many other schools around the state and around the country as well. And you may notice that um, she shares a last name with Trent Buglowitz. So we do have a, a husband wife team, show choir team on the show. But I mean, Lexi, you are working with so many different schools. Um, How much time do you get to spend on show development with each one of these shows? Well, mostly the month of April and May. Those two months are spent. um, And I'm typically one of many on a creative team. I never do this by myself. Um, I work closely at Linmar with um, my best friends, Braxton Carr and April James, who is a friend, a mentor, colleague. Um, And then at EOS at Joaquin Northwest with my friend, Nick Kwame. Um, And yeah, lots of hours, lots of conversations, lots of music listening. Oh my goodness. I feel like I'm, yeah, just that time of year, constantly listening to new songs and coming up with crazy stories. And how do you make sure that each of these shows looks different? Because, of course, every show wants its own unique design. Well, a big thing, as I just said, is is the music, making sure that um, all of my shows have different styles um, from different artists and um, down to the costumes. What are the costumes going to be? And um, probably what we'll talk about this hour, what they're wearing on their feet. Um, <laughs> or not wearing, uh, as the case may be. Or not wearing on their feet, <laughs> yes. Um, and working with those teams, um, honestly paying special attention to every single move choreographed. Does this look and feel like anything else that we've ever done? Um, it can be sort of a daunting task, but it's also super fun as an artist to find different ways to move your body to tell the story and evoke different emotions. So I, I talked about the the really rigorous tryouts that students who want to be in show choir, specifically varsity show choir, need to go through. And dancing is a big part of that. Lexi, are you involved in the, in the tryouts for these show choirs? Oh, yes. Oh, I mean, especially at Linmar, absolutely. We do 
um, I create a um, maybe about a minute long dance that I spend two nights teaching um, to all of the underclassmen that are coming up to the high school. Um, and then something that came from our COVID years is that we actually have our students, they take videos of themselves and they have to submit them by a certain date. Um, and then Trent and I sit right where I'm sitting here in my sunroom and watch all of our kids one by one on the TV um, and evaluate them the best that we can. Do students need to have a dance background to be able to compete? No, not at all. And honestly, that is what I love about show choir so, so, so much, because obviously I am a technically trained dancer, but I love that I can show just your average kid that has no training whatsoever. Look, I can teach you how to dance and you can look and feel successful and confident up on stage Um, because dance music, you know, it's the universal language and there's just nothing like being able to express yourself in that way. Uh, Trent, can you give us a kind of an overview of show choir in Iowa. I keep saying there are more than 150 high school show choirs. I don't feel like that really gives us any kind of an idea of how big <laughs> this is. So so tell me a little bit about the, the competition season and the schools that you interact with. Paint me a picture. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very similar to any other activity that is, is present at all these different sizes and types of high schools in the state and middle schools as well. I mean, there's students starting show choir in sixth grade in many places, sometimes even earlier. But I would say that generally most schools have some sort of show choir style outlet or full-blown show choir program. Um, there, there are a few select larger 4A, 5A schools that don't, um, but most of those really have some sort, some sort of program that features that. But um, every year in around January through March, all, all these schools that have show choir programs host competitions that help fundraise and support their own show choir program. Um, show choirs, it can be expensive, all the different people that are involved, um, the costuming of a group. Um, and you, you want to be able to make up some of that money so that we you don't have to charge the students as much for some of those things. So a lot of our our way that we are able to function is based on hosting show choir competitions and then having other groups attend those competitions, eat the food at the competitions all day and thus fund the programs for the future. And then you turn that around the next weekend and go out and attend somebody else's competition. So it's, it's very alive and thriving in the state. Uh, Anything you want to add to that, Jack? Trent summed it up beautifully. I mean, it's that whole just the state sort of thrives on this art form that kids get to then go support other schools. It's really that unique, even though it's a competitive um, style to a certain extent, the kids are so in awe of what other schools are doing and forge so many friendships that like this community in the state really feels like community. And it's just, it's a really special thing to get to see. Lexi, we would never be, I'm sorry. I, I feel like we would never be connected really outside of some of these things. But like, we got to compete against Joaquin Northwest this year a couple times, and now I feel like our students are so connected. Like nice. they they know who all all of each other are. They they watch each other's shows on YouTube and have group chats with each other. And it, I mean, it it's such a cool way to see students that live three hours away, but that all care about the same things and then they want and understand what it's like to be a part 
of a group that's just trying to make awesome art, and then they share that with each other. I just think it's so cool. Lexi, I want to ask you, because you work with groups around the country, how do you think Iowa's show choir culture compares to other places? Oh, what I love about Iowa, absolutely, hands down, is um, really the majority of the directors in Iowa, it is a small circle, and we all love each other, and we all support each other, um, and we all really preach to our kids that this is not a sport. That does not mean that this is not as difficult as a sport. It definitely takes athleticism to be part of show choir to sing and do this high demanding choreography at the same time. But it's not a sport in that we can't do, if we do 10 kickball changes and you do six kickball changes, then we win and you lose. Like that's not how it works. We can't play defense. All that we can do is go in the audience and support and love on one another as we would wish people to do for our show. Um, and I really feel like the directors in Iowa and all of the kids working here that we have kind of that closer relationship in this state. Well, and I'm sure, I mean, judging musical and performances is so much more subjective than oh, judging whether somebody crosses a finish line first. So I, yeah. I'm sure that there, there's yeah. this uncertainty yeah. there, too. Trent, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, we, we always say jokingly to each other, like, we, we can't play defense at show choir competitions. Um, you, you, you just go and present your art and then let a panel of five to seven people decide whose art was better. I mean, it just <laughs> sounds kind of ridiculous in its premise. Um, but I think that's a lot of, like, where show choir has gone over the years, at least in my career that I've seen, is it, it used to be a lot more about precision. It used to be a lot about executing what was on the ballot the best in order to get the most points on the ballot. And I just feel like a, not everyone, but a lot of people are just kind of deciding like, well, well, I don't care if this plays well on a ballot. I think it plays well to an audience and for my students. And so we're going to try it. Uh Jack, what does that ballot look like, though? What what are the, the judges looking for? Yeah. So, I mean, I think all of us sort of spend it's that crazy. We give back to the community by every weekend. We're not competing. It feels like at least the three of us on this call are always out <laughs> judging when we're not competing. And it's that like on the ballot, it's the obvious things like intonation. Is your choir singing in tune? Uh, tone quality, choreography, style, uh, choreography, execution, all of these like big picture things that then we sort of sit back and we go, but it all looks really great. So then we start having to think about, well, I value this in tone quality. And it really does become that subjective nature that Trent was talking about, where then on the performance side, we all kind of just have started to look at it and be like, okay, uh, these judges all might have different thoughts than what we had when we were putting this show together. And that's okay. It's about, does your show connect to the audience? Does your show leave an impact on people? And if it does that and you can look yourself in the mirror and say that you gave a great show, then at the end of the day, that's sort of the measuring stick for uh, most of these programs anymore. Well, and we're seeing an evolution in show choir and maybe a divergence in show choir. Both of you uh, or all three of you have worked on shows that really have a, a storytelling arc. This is a narrative arc through the show. I think a lot of us have had experience with show choirs who um, are performing distinct numbers through the show, more of a pop performance or a, a concert performance in some ways. And there are still a lot of show choirs that do that and do that incredibly well. Trent, can you tell me a little bit about this evolutionary shift? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that 
first and foremost, everyone can create whatever art they want. I mean, it's, there's no, there's no better way. There's no worse way to do it. It's all just what works for you and your program. Um, we, we kind of decided maybe seven, six, seven years ago when I took over the varsity group that we just wanted to try something a little new. So I, I personally, and I think my students, and I guess our audiences and our supporters, we get a lot out of the process of, of creating something that has a through line and a story and a moral and emotional kind of ties like that that help connect it to our real lives. Um, we thought in kind of designing that part of what we did that those things were important if we were going to talk about having competition not be the ultimate goal, competing well, getting first place. Um, it, I, I think it really helps back that up when we're doing shows that have purpose beyond filling a ballot as best as we can. So the storyline just really kind of tied in with our goals as a program um, and as a community. Gosh, does that feel like an even bigger gamble, though? Because if if it doesn't work, the whole show may not feel like it works as opposed to maybe one number not working. That's true, I guess. But it, I, I mean, I guess you could say that about anything. I mean, I, I think of it as kind of my job to make it work. Um, and but at the end of the day, like if we end up getting 78th place at a competition because my story was bad, I, I, I guess that's what we do. You know, that's that's how it goes. <laughs> so, Jack, I mean, again, you have a you have a narrative arc through your show. There are still schools that that have more of, I guess, the traditional approach. How, as a judge, do you judge schools that are going head-to-head with such different shows? Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to see that, but at the end of the day, it's that, like, we are all singing, we are all dancing. And so as a judge... I really have, like, when I'm on a panel, made sure that I'm sitting there saying, okay, on the ballot, there's tone quality, there's intonation, there's cutoffs, there's phrasing, there's choreography execution. All of these things, regardless of how the show is being designed or how the show is being presented, those things don't change. Even in a narrative show, we're dancing the whole time, we're singing the whole time. In a sort of more traditional show, they're dancing and singing the whole time. So the, like, scored elements of a show are still all universally the same. I've yet to sit on a panel where I have a checkbox of, does the story make sense? (laughs) So it's just one of those, like, we can, like, and we've gotten comments this year that our show uh, sometimes confused people. They lost the narrative arc, and we sort of went, okay, we understand that. Uh, Did we sing well? Did we dance well? And if the answer to that is yes, then it really hasn't seemed to affect much on the ballot, because I think all judges are fairly comfortable with that idea of we assess what's on the ballot, not necessarily what our preferences on the shows. We are nearly out of time, and I want to ask an important question. Trent, I'll start with you. You talked about the fact that show choir is expensive, and the more complicated it gets, the more more expensive it gets for the school, but also for the students. So uh, a parent of a show choir student might spend $500 every year, every season, on show choir. For a lot of families, that is a lot of money. That's the kind of money that can really exclude some people from an activity, how do you approach making show choir equitable? Well, I think that first and foremost, one of my goals is to get our fee structure down to zero for our students. I mean, that to create shows of this caliber and have no money coming in from outside is, is a hard goal to accomplish. I mean, we, every, 
people often say when we you see like a large school like a Linmar or Waukee, like, oh, well, they've got a lot of money. That's why they do what they do. Well, we we, we don't get money from the school. I mean, that, that we fundraise our money and we, we have our student fees. So how we really make it equitable is by we had a lot of talks with our, our CFOs and our financial team a few years back and kind of set some goals on, on how we can still get maybe costume fees from students for the costumes we're purchasing for them, but make it okay for students who can't or even just don't want to make it okay for them to do it. And, and that's been successful. I'd say maybe 50 to 75% of our students pay any of their fees. Um, we, we have them in there. Students who can pay them, students who can't don't. There are scholarship opportunities through our foundation. And there's also just people in our district that our students talk to and they make plans with on how much they can pay. So it's, it's honestly more of a suggested donation than it is a required fee at any point in time. Jack, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, Trent's language there at the end of that suggested donation as a district walkie just transitioned all of our fee structure to that suggested donation. So for us, it's that idea of can we host a contest? Can we do a booster fundraiser in the summer? And can we host some youth camps that really allow us to fund these programs in a way that we don't need to pass the cost on to kids? I think that's always sort of been the goal for directors. And we've always sort of had the easy route of being able to say, well, it just costs $300 to do this. Kids, that's what you need to pay. And then the boosters would step in to cover someone who couldn't pay. And that always was sort of the model. And I think as we go forward, it's that a little more intentionality from us as directors. But it's something that we really can make um, equitable and accessible for all of the kids in our district. Jackson Dobbitz, thank you so much. Yeah. Jackson Dobbitz of Waukee Northwest High School. Trent Buglowitz, thank you. Absolutely. So great to be on. Good luck in Nashville. And Lexi, good luck to you in Nashville, too. I was talking with Trent Buglowitz, choir director at Linmar High School, and Lexi Robson Buglowitz, a professional choreographer. This is Talk of Iowa.